Love of Christ compels us. It controls us. It motivates us. The love of Jesus manifests on his brutal and bloody death on the cross. It compels us to live for him. Lord Jesus Christ, you who died for us, everything in us says, Lord, we want to live for you. We're not forced into this. We're not religiously doing this. Out of the deepest parts of our hearts, where our motives and will are decided, Lord Jesus, we love you from that place. We love you from that place, deep within our beings. Lord, you move us to tears. You move us to sacrifice. You move us to joy. Your love, your blood has washed away our sin. And we thank you, Jesus, for amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Thank you even just hearing in Christina's testimony, this Sunday she came to church after opening her life and giving her life to Jesus Christ. Just hearing her say, I came because I wanted to. I praised him because I wanted to. I loved him because I wanted to. Not to get anything out of it, but just because of Jesus. Lord, let our hearts be changed like that today. Let the love of God stir us to new levels of commitment and devotion and passion. Not because we're told to, but because we want to. Not because we have to, but because we get to. Lord Jesus, let your love be shed abroad in our hearts this morning by the Holy Spirit. And to that end, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come and fill this time now where your word is preached. May my Father be filled with your Holy Spirit as he stands to speak. And may our ears be opened, may our eyes be opened, may our minds be opened to what you want to say, that we may give all the glory to Jesus who gave everything for us. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you now. Be our teacher Be our guide. Be the one who inspires us to follow Christ. In his name we pray it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Take a seat. Well, did that, my lovers? (laughs) And for any Emmets that have crept in, good day to you. Normally, on a Sunday morning, I would be saying Borada, but that's because most of my time is spent in Wales working to transition churches that otherwise will fold or planting new ones. Uh, And uh, if you've had any holidays in Wales, you'll know that there's plenty of scope for the former. Uh, is helping leaders, helping, just looking at foundations, you know, because some churches do well and some don't. And what's the reason for that? What, what is it that God has just helped you to get right here? What is it? And uh, so I kind of travel around. I... I, I Somebody once asked me, well, you know, what is it in the Bible like? What you do? Well, well Titus and Timothy maybe, or Silas. Because or, there, there were leaders who worked on the ground in one local church, and there were those that moved around a bit and, and helped others. And uh, I actually started in Helston um, years ago, I think probably 18 years ago, a chap called David Gardner said, uh, come here, uh, I haven't got any preachers. So I travelled, and then the next year again, and 
And so it went on. And, and after a while, uh, as well as just preaching on the Sunday, I, I, I decided, I, it was arranged that I would just sit down, and John Leach had this chip shop. It was brilliant. We just got free fish and chips, and I just kind of said something to leaders. An excellent model. Um, not so much the teaching. And, uh, and that kind of stuff I then took to churches all over, and now it's ironic I'm bringing it back again to a new generation in Helston. And uh, in Truro, um, the Bill Hybels has this great phrase that there's nothing like the local church when the local church is working well. It's true. You may not know of any other kind of church. Well, just believe it. Have a look around you. Um, but the, I'm sure that some of us have experiences of the other. Uh, and therefore, the question is, uh, if you were coming with me and uh, you were just with churches where the, it wasn't firing on all cylinders... You don't have to have too much of an imagination to imagine what that looks like. And uh, so, what is the deal? What what is what's the what underlies what we do? What's the core thing? What's the minimum? What what's the main thing for church to work well, or for my Christian life to work well? What what's the deal? If you cut it to the quick, if you get right down to the core of what this is all about, what is it all about? The, you see, Paul is writing to Corinth. Corinth wasn't a perfect church. I'd be like you, really. Uh, and uh, there, 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 there were a number of issues that he was having to address. You know, that they were squabbling. Can't believe it, but it was true there. And uh, some of them liked this way, and some of them liked that way, and some of them wanted this leader, and some of them wanted that leader, and he had to address it. What was the basic issue that he raised to address it? Uh, and of course others were, were just proud. They thought they were wiser than others. Some of them thought they were richer than others. Others, you know, they, they were having meals together, and some of them were just pigging out on their own because they had a lot. And others were just looking on feeling hungry. Well, what's... It never happened here. So, so, some of them, you know, a bloke was having it off with his stepmother. It just blows your mind, doesn't it? But anyway, uh, like your mother-in-law. But what, what's the problem? What, what's the answer? And all this... It, People are going on in tongues endlessly and just out, everything's out of sync, really. This is the question. Is there a key? Is there an answer to it all? Is there one core issue? Is there a connecting thread that Paul brings to say there's a yardstick and we're just going to put this against it? Well, there is. And in chapter 14 of, of 1 Corinthians 15, if I turn your Bible, I'm going to read the last verse of Corinthians 14, or maybe the last two, because uh, they're short, uh, and I just want to read on briefly into 1 Corinthians 15. This is what he says. Some of it, if, you, if you're thinking about spiritual gifts, you might be familiar with the end of 14, and then because we've got chapters, we kind of go clunk, end of story, and then something new. Well, of course, there were no chapters. That there wasn't even a full stop because it didn't have them in Greek. That one, that one verse just ran into the next. So actually, what we've got 
at the beginning of chapter 15 is a follow-on and a comment from what's come before it. It says this, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. Mm, That's good. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be in a fitting and orderly way. Now, bro- now brothers, see, no, no break. Now, brothers, I want to remind you in addressing these issues, didn't say that, but that's the implication. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles. Do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was, it was, whether then it was I or they, or, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. There is a key. There, there is something that is the first importance. There are lots of things that are very important, but there is one thing that is of first importance. Uh, And Paul, in verse 3, uses a phrase that may be familiar to many of us, because we'll have heard it before in a different context, for what I received, I passed on to you. What I received, I passed on to you. We, We normally hear that at communion. For, for what I received, I passed on to you that on the first day, night, day of the week, Jesus broke bread, remember? But what I received, I passed on to you. Now, there's a sense in which what, the th- what he received, it, well, it, he heard it from others. He says in verse 6 that there were 500 blokes, and many of them are still alive, that are witnesses that you would bump into. You'd, some of them would travel, but you'd meet them there. If you went to Jerusalem, you'd meet them there. Paul grew up in Jerusalem. He had contact in that city. Uh, and uh, he, he actually, on one occasion, was there and saw a man being stoned to death and held his coat. So he would have heard what Stephen said. So there's a sense in which that Jesus died, according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again from the dead, according to the Scriptures. He knew it because he'd heard people say it. On one occasion, he went up to Jerusalem, met with Peter and John, Galatians 1.18. Three years after he'd first believed, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and, uh, and stayed with him. 15, and I saw none of the other apostles, only James. Well, maybe, well, certainly they would have talked about it. About the event. But 
he was telling them what he'd received. That there was that the meaning of the event, what this death of Jesus is all about. He didn't hear that from the, the, the five hundred. He, he received that, and the understanding of what that death was all about, he he passed on to them. That that's the gospel. That that's the main thing. And uh, Galatians 1, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached to you is not something that man made up. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. I received it from Re- as revelation from Jesus Christ. We're not talking about, you know, we're here, oh, that's your opinion. Oh, that's your interpretation. No, no, no. This is what I received. There, there was a click exercise here, right? That God had something that he downloaded into Paul's life and understanding that in that place that Andrew just referenced, in the very core of his being, the meaning of the death of Jesus just, boom, he got it and he spoke it. That, that's what he's, these historic facts that God had given them meaning. And this is it. This is the main thing. In addressing all the issues that there are in the first 14 chapters, that this is the business that Jesus died for sins first. That he made an atonement. That he brought together... God and man that previously were alienated. That I had a real problem in my relationship with God. It wasn't just that I hadn't stumbled onto him, that there was a significant distance that existed between my heart and my life and the Almighty. That there was a problem there, and and Paul writes into Romans, we've all sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God, and we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption, through the buying back that Jesus did, that God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate justice. That God was alienated. We, you and I, all of us, had a Offended. <laughs> We've done that plenty with people, but the reality is we'd done it with God. It wasn't just that we hadn't kind of sorted things. No, no, no. There was a problem. And Jesus rescued us from that. He, he redeemed us by his blood. Jesus, by his dying, took the offence of God on himself so that we could be reconciled. Brought, you should be cheering on your seats. Brought back that things, the stuff could get sorted. And uh, when, when in, in verse 15, right at, a chapter, right at the end of the chapter, again, if you've been to a funeral, familiar verses, the sting of sin is death, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus, by his dying, put an end to sin, put an end to death, put an end to hell and all the judgment and the wrath of God. He sorted it. 
that he was our substitute. We sang about it. It's great when Peter... Thanks, Pete. He reads my notes before I preach. <laughs> he doesn't see them. He just reads them. So I, you know, I explain that. Um, that God made him. The Father allowed his Son to suffer on my behalf. He sent his Son to suffer on my behalf. Jesus came absolutely, deliberately to sort my problem, to put my alienation to an end. That's why he came. That's what Paul received about what Jesus did. He he just substituted. all, All that I was in for, he carried. All that was his, in terms of the favor and goodness of God, he channeled to me. That's, that's redemption. That's buying back. And uh, the, just this whole thing about the wrath of God, just imagine. Imagine. Now, I, I've offended some people, good and proper, as you could imagine. That's where he gets it from. But, <coughs> but just a realization, happily, it's not like his father, it's like his mother. <coughs> Happily, the realization that God is offended. In fact, he's more than offended. He's not some kind of benign deity that's just up there waiting, looking for friends. Oh, come on, like me. No, no, sorry, not the deal. Jesus spoke about the wrath of God. That God's anger is towards us. That's the reality. It's horrible, but that's why Jesus came. It's the, me- the problem that we were in is the measure of the love of Jesus to us. That's what he sorted for us. That's why he came. That he died for sin. It's the full deal. He cleansed us from it. And it's gone. And in one of the commentaries, I can't remember who it was, this phrase, there's no gospel without the link between his death and my sin. Just think about that. There is no gospel. There's no good news. There's no answer to my ultimate dilemma without a link between his death and my sin. That's the connection. That my sin and his death, I must find that link. That there is no gospel without the link between his death and my sin. That Calvin put it, taking our curse on him that he might redeem us from it. That's a horrible word, isn't it? You know, curse. Ooh. Right? He took it upon himself that he might redeem us from it. And in this whole process, it, that it, he, was, he, he died for sin according to the scripture, and that he was buried, in a real burial, it, a real corpse, you know, just cold, dead, and buried. But this stuff really, really happened. There was a burial. And, and if we'd been there, and the, just the whole... Horror of that, that, that's what, it was as real as that. That's what he's saying. That's why that bit's in the middle. 
And then he rose again and he broke out of it. When Peter was speaking in the first sermon, he said, it was impossible for the death to keep its hold on him. Why was that? Well, because by his cross he sorted death. That death was the consequence of sin. He sorted sin. Right? The, the, the gravity, the spiritual, it just had to come out. There's no way Jesus is going to stay in there. And, and this is the point. When Jesus rose from the dead, all the benefits of his cross were made available to sinners. All of them. You know, that, that we, we are justified. That we, our forgiveness came when Jesus rose. Life came. In the same spirit, that raised up Jesus from the dead, lives in you, wow, he will give life to your mortal body. And there'll be a resurrection here. That's what's, that's what's being symbolised this afternoon, after coffee. That new life has come. Resurrection power has broken out. Hope has begun. So, that, now this is, this is not new. It might be new to a, a, one or two of us. But, this is the deal. This is the main thing. All there, all, there's lots of other important things in church and Christianity, but this is the main deal. The, 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 this is the core, that we had a problem. The prognosis was bad. Our prospects were awful. And we're all infected. <laughs> right? It's not swine flu. Because that's easy. You only get a third of us. So I'm told. But, no, no. We were all infected and there's 100% mortality. How did you feel when you heard on the news that, you know, I know it was misrepresented in the papers. You know, there's going to be all those tens of thousands of deaths in Britain. Ah, am I going to be one? But it's 100% mortality here. That's the bad news. But there is a cure. (laughs) there is good news death and hell and sin have been sorted it's about his death and my sin being connected and just where the wrath of God is concerned it's it's a wonderful thing isn't it that because Jesus has forgiven me my sin through faith in his, in his death. That you and I, if you've trusted in Christ too, that we will be in heaven and be completely comfortable. Just think of that. Completely comfortable. Not awkward. Not, not feeling threatened. Not feeling that a thunderbolt's going to fly from the throne and, you know, obliterate us. And no, no, none of that. Just because we have, things have been put right. And, uh, and Paul says, in, in, this is the main thing. I, I know I've gone on a bit, but I'm going to move on now. That, but he says you must stand in there. This is where you must stand. And actually, there's a pretty stark warning, isn't there? Let me read again 15, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved, if you hold firmly. So there's an option here. that We can't take this for granted. 
It's by faith, it's by trust, it's by reliance and dependence. It's a personal thing. That it's, it's the embrace of God that I respond to. That's the main thing. If you're going to build your Christian life, that's what it's built on. It's the gospel. It's this grace of God that God took the initiative to bring salvation to you. And that when Jesus died, he bore your sin and bore your curse and the wrath of God and he redeemed you, brought you back. That's the main thing. Now, when Paul is writing here, remember that this isn't, this isn't a standalone. That This is coming at the end of 14 chapters. And all of that stuff that he's been raking through. But this is written 52, before 55, In other words, over 20 years since the death of Jesus happened. 20 years. So, the people that were parents when Jesus died were grandparents now. That there's a generational gap between the events and Paul talking about them here. Think about where you were 20 years ago. Some of you, it's quite difficult. But that kind of gap. We're in the early 50s here. And there's this issue that Paul is writing to uh, of the kind of hand-on to the second generation. Because the first generation were there. Some of them have fallen asleep. Some of them have passed on, he says, in verse 6. But many of them are still alive 20 years later. Um, But there's a whole generation that weren't there. And they didn't see it. They've heard of it, of course. That uh, he, and, and Paul, uh, when he says that which you received and on which you say, by this gospel you say, do you hold up a, uh, that I, oh that's a wrong, wrong verse. Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. Remind is a little bit weak. He's, he's, he's declaring it. That, that there's, there's a gentle rebuke in the way that he's saying this. That, that he, He's declaring, it's more than a reminder, that uh, he's saying, no, look, this gospel that you received, it's a one-off verb. It's an event. It's not a process. It's something that happened. Done. Yes, they'd received it, but were they standing on it? Was this second generation building on the foundation of the gospel in the way that the first generation had? And actually, on, on a whole number of occasions, Paul writes to, to, about the foundation of our lives. What, 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 is, what is my life built on? Where, where do my roots go into? What, 2 Corinthians 1.24 We work with you for your joy because it's by faith that you stand firm. And writing to the Romans... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by the, this faith in which we now stand. Mm. So, uh, there's this issue of building on and applying the death of Jesus, that he died, was buried, and rose again. It needs to be my foundation, it needs to be my identity. That the thing most important about me is that this connection with what Jesus has done and all else building on it. You see, now, let's just briefly take the issues that he's 
dealt with. And just think for a minute how it works. Chapter 1 tells us that there were different factions in the church. There were people with different agendas and, and some wanted this way and this leader and some wanted that. How does this grace apply where Christians just get in conflict? Jesus died for us all. We were all wrong. There's a great leveller at the cross, isn't there? I mean, what a contradiction when Jesus has taken us all from a place when we were lost and not his people, that we should divide up the people of God with our own agendas. And, and then in chapter 2, there's this problem where some people think that they're wise and some, you know, the Jews, they're a bit better than the Gentiles and there's the rich and the poor and... No, 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 no. No, we were all bankrupt. The, the, the grace of God tells me that none of us is better than another. Can you see? That Paul, at, at the end of, of at the beginning of chapter 2, says an amazing thing. He says, I determined when I was among you to preach nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Are we to draw from that then, that every sermon that Paul preached was like this one? Well, yes, in one sense, but no in another, that in every issue that Paul was teaching on, whatever our difficulties are, whatever trial we're going through, it's that it's, that it's Jesus and him crucified we need to apply to it. And when it came to his own ministry in the next chapter, chapter 3, chapter 4 and chapter 9, that, that where criticism is flying, right? As it was in Corinth. Well, that, how can that be when we are all such recipients of grace? And the man who's having sex with his stepmother. You know, well hang on a minute. Why did Jesus die? Didn't he die to save us from all that stuff? You see, it's the cross applied chapter. That's why he says, "I determined to know nothing while I was among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." And the same with the guy that's taking another one to court. Well, hang on a minute. Hang on. Are you saying, therefore, that you've got rights against it? No, we haven't got rights against it. We have no rights. That Jesus rescued us all from the same place and the conflict within marriage. And he develops it more in Ephesians. You know, husbands love you, wives, as Christ loved the church. It, it's applying the cross there as well. And chapter 8 with idolatry and chapter 12 and 14 with spiritual gifts where you know, people just wanting their own preferences and centrality and importance and, and, and just to be on show. No, 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 can't be on show. And he smacks chapter 13 in the middle, doesn't he? About love. Reflecting the love of Jesus. And it's just this working through of the main thing that we need to build our lives on. I don't know who it was. I think there's a book written on it on how I need to preach the gospel to myself every day. I would take that just a slight step further. Are, you know, you look fine to me, but 
if I was to back you in a corner on your own and say, what's the problem? You'd all come out with one. Right? And they'd all be different. Wouldn't they? And, and I, I don't know what you've got on. I don't know what's in your diary tomorrow morning. But there will be an issue. You won't walk very far tomorrow before there's an issue. And I need to preach the gospel to myself every day. That I was alienated from God. A sinner, I am by nature. That there's nothing inherently... There are good things I can do. But in my essence, it's all spoiled. Some of it might be less spoiled than you and some areas of you might be less spoiled than me, but we're all in a mess, aren't we? I need to preach the gospel to me every day. It's the best antidote to pride and conceit that there is. That we were all separated from God and Jesus has loved us and embraced us. Oh, you, David, you need to go in on... on um, Enhancement classes, and you need to you need to go on on a self-assertiveness class. No, I don't. No, no, wrong. No, I, I need to. My my confidence and security as a, as a person is based on this fact that Jesus has embraced me. I need to preach the gospel to myself every day. It's the answer to every challenge I will face. It will shape me, humble me. It will teach me to say no to ungodliness and unright and holy passions. It will teach me that stuff. It will inspire me. It will give me dignity. Worth? Worth? Are you saying that you're worthless? You, you, you have a, a, a problem of a, a lack of self-worth? Do you know what Jesus paid for you? Do you know the price that he put on your head? You need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. You feel depressed. Well, there may be chemical reasons for that. I'll give you that much. I'll allow you that much depression. But if it's coming out of self-pity, goodness me, preach the gospel to yourself. You are infinitely loved and valued. How can that depress you? It gives me my worth and my identity, my hope and my perspective from life. My ups and my downs are not determined by my health or my job or my kids or my wife or whether the the sun comes out or whether it's raining. My value is in this, that Jesus died according to the Scriptures and that he was buried And that he rose again, according to the scripture. It's the main thing in the church. What kind of church are you? Light and life, Penzance, what kind of church? Oh, we're a gospel church. I thought you were a Methodist church. No, 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 we're a gospel church. I thought you were charismatic. No, no, well, yeah, in one sense. But we're a gospel church. Because all the other stuff divides. Nobody gets saved by being any of those. We don't get a heaven by that, we get a heaven by this. Everything else divides and distorts ultimately. I need to think, talk, thank, testify, 
about this. This is our main subject of conversation. Jesus died according to the, for sin according to the Scripture. He was buried and he rose again according to the Scriptures. It's the main deal. And as people, it's the way to God. It's, it's everything about me. I must keep it as the main thing, as my core business. It's easy, isn't it? When you're talking to your neighbour above the fence, isn't that a funny thing? Isn't it how easy it is to say, oh, our church is full this morning, bragging, right? No, no, we, we need to be talking about the main thing. Does your neighbour know about the main thing? That, he's, that Jesus has reconciled the alienated, restored our relationship to God and opened heaven. I mean, that is wonderful. Wonderful. Just to think that God did that for you. It's the thing of first importance. Isn't it? Let's bow our heads together. Pete's going to come and lead us in a closing song. And the song is a prayer, really, that we might really see it. That not only our eyes, but our hearts might be open to the revelation that Paul got when this stuff that he received, the importance of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, something that is utterly life-transforming, we will never, ever be the same again once we've received it. That Jesus loved us. Lord, thank you for your heart for us as people. Thank you that despite the prognosis, despite the awful condition that Jesus has come and loved us and died for us and risen again to bring us all the benefits, We are so grateful. And maybe this morning, as you heard the testimony earlier, and in the worship, singing of these things, and you've never come to that place of trust and faith and dependence. It's all a bit second-hand for you. Jesus is present here this morning for you to turn to him, turn from going your own way and put your trust in his death and resurrection for you. Remember the warning that Paul gave if you don't stand on this. So Lord, we pray this morning as our heads are bowed before you. Lord, will you help, it, help me to make this the main thing Will you help me to build my life centrally on this, that you loved me enough to die for my sin, to die and be raised again to life for my justification. In Jesus' name, Amen. Oh, to see the dawn, stand together as Pete leads.